Okay, we're going to read the Bible now, and today we're reading Psalm 73. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can get up now and grab one from the back table if you like. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you all today. Um, yes, I was in India watching the World Cup, but here's the thing. My wife is Australian, so it was a win-win situation for us in our house. So uh, there was peace among us. Um, uh, again, it's, it's a great privilege to be here again and bring uh, God's word uh, to you um, today. I've decided to change the t- name of the title rather than too much worse is going on in the last Uh, you know, India versus Australia and all of those things. So I'll change the title to Finding Contentment in a World that Never Has Enough. And that's what we're going to look at uh, today. So let's let's bow our heads and pray and ask God for his wisdom and guidance. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for that we can gather together as your people to uh, hear your word uh, preached 
we pray that would you please give us the guidance that we need uh, and wisdom to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How much money would make you happy? How much money is enough? Gina Reinhardt, she's the richest person in Australia whose net worth is more than $30 billion. Her father made a family trust of $5 billion, with Gina being the sole trustee. Now, this money was to be shared between Gina and her uh, four children, giving each person a billion dollar. Now, Gina reportedly had prevented her children from being able to take their shares. And she's at war with her kids. And they've been fighting with her in the law courts. For, it's been more than a decade now. The richest person in Australia has stopped her children from getting a billion dollar of the trust. Isn't there always we need more? If that much money, $30 billion, if you're wondering, that's a lot, by the way, <laughs> just to let you know, $30 billion isn't enough to satisfy a billionaire, well, how much is enough? How much money will make you happy? Now, this is a reality we all face in our lives even though we may not have $30 billion in our bank account, but we do feel the same discontentment, don't we? You see, there's always something more we desire, something better. At some point, we uh, think to ourselves, if only I had that much money, if only I had the lifestyle that he is having, if only I had the beauty that she's got. Or at times we see someone else has got something that I should be having, not them, and this isn't fair. And what do we do? We envy them. Now here's what envy is. It's a source of discontentment. We, some, we see somebody else has got it better than us, and we hate them for it. Why? Because they don't deserve it. And it's not fair that they've got it. Put it this way, and envy is unhappiness at other people's happiness and happiness at other people's unhappiness. It's basically us thinking, if I can't be that successful, rich, famous, beautiful, I don't want them to be either. So, is that a big of a deal? We all have it. Everyone at some point in our life has experienced envy. But is it that serious? Well, yes, it is. It's a deadly sin that can consume us. You see, to start with, envy hides itself. We can more freely and comfortably, even in this uh, church, talk to each other about 
each other's sin that we're struggling with, but nobody wants to talk about envy. The reason is no one wants to admit they're envious of someone else. Now look at all times, we all feel envious, but here's the problem. It's easy for us to look at people who are far from God and be envious of them, of how better they seem to have it. You work, at hard, you work hard at your job with honesty while you're uh, the people that you know or your colleague who is sneaky and dishonest and uses other people to get ahead. They succeed. They get their house. They go on holidays. Or we look at people who chase career, pleasure, money, and get promoted to the job that we want to have a holiday trip that we wish we could take our family to. And when they share their values, well, they don't get laughed at for their beliefs, do they? They're celebrated. Now, this feeling of envy leads us to a very serious question. If good things, and a dangerous one, by the way, If good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, then what's the point? What's the point of trying to keep yourself close to God if those who are far from God seem to have a better life? Sometimes this is how we feel, even though we might not want to tell anyone about it. But here's the worst part. Not only it's a terrible feeling but it takes the joy out of our Christian life. Our sense that we are missing out on the good life as Christians. And the good life that we want can lead us to questioning our faith and rejecting our relationship with God. And as we live in this materialistic world, well, look, I'm I'm not talking about desire, don't get me wrong, with desire is a good thing. There is nothing wrong with desiring a good family, job, security for your children, but over-desiring of it can lead into idolatry of them. And how are you going to avoid envy when you desire all of these good things? And as we live in this materialistic world, where do we find contentment in a world that never has enough? You see, it's not just us who feel that way. God's people back in Israel has experienced this as well. And today we are looking at one of those godly men, Asaph, who wrote this psalm, Psalm 73. Asaph is a good, God-fearing Israelite who led the service and music during the time of King David. He's a godly and a keen observer of the world, And Asaph contrasts his life with the life of those who reject God and his ways. So as we look at this passage today, here's the three points. We're going to look at the problem of envy. We're going to look at the right approach to the problem of envy. And then we'll look at the solution for envy. Let's look at the first one. Let's look at the problem. Now, Asaph... Read with me the first, uh, Psalm 73, verse 1. Asaph starts with the truth by saying, Surely, 
God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely that is true. Something maybe most of us can agree on in this room, maybe. But his experience says a different thing. Look at what he says, verse 2. But as for me, my feet has almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. The psalmist has almost given up his faith. Why? And he goes on to tell us what he's experiencing. He says, read with me verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph envied those who were far from God because they seemed to have better in life. How you ask? Read verse 4 and 5. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Uh, Asaph is troubled by their immunity to all the diseases and the disasters. They live a whole life without struggles and pain. They enjoy good health. They're not weighed down by their uh, impossible pressure at work, in their family. All the ills that afflict the rest of us has seemed to pass them by. What a charming lives they live. Now this is how their lives seem to be. But look at the way they live. Read verse 6 to 9. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They live with pride and what happens? Well, people celebrate them. Look at verse 10. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They applauded. They think there is no limit to what they can achieve by themselves. What do they think of God? Well, they live like there isn't one. They live for no one. They answer to no one. And then he goes on. Verse 11 to 12. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. You see, Asaph isn't questioning God's existence, is he? He's questioning God's justice. Is God good, moral, fair? Well, sometimes from his experience... The answer is no. He doesn't seem to be. Because Asaph looks at his own life and the discontentment in his life results in him being envious. Asaph doesn't seem to see any benefit in following a godly lifestyle. For him, following and pursuing God seems fruitless, a waste of time and too much effort. And this is what he says, verse 13 and 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and 
have washed my hands in innocence all day long. I have been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishment. Every day is like this. And as a result of that, he thinks that the heart that is pure is in vain. What's the point of me doing all of these? And Asaph is mad at God and frustrated by waking up to this every day, to this suffering. Because what it seems to him is that he has the suffering that they deserve and they've got the blessing that he deserves. So he's being tempted to give up on God and his ways. And he cries out, If the wicked prosper, why be righteous? Why bother be righteous? <coughs> his foot has almost slipped, almost given up trusting and obeying God, almost joined others. But then he stops. He stops and tries to understand and make sense of everything he sees. And look at how he approaches the problem. He takes the right approach to the problem of envy. Look at verse 15 and 16. <clears throat> he says this, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. He's a godly man who believes, as we looked at, surely God is good to Israel. And in some way, the faithfulness of this man matters for the destiny of the people of God. The coming generations. Are you going to tell your kids there is no point living a godly life? So he doesn't continue down the slippery slope. He takes control of the situation and look at what he does. To find the solution to the problem, he ent enters the sanctuary. Read verse, 15, uh, verse 17 to 20. <coughs> Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He was tempted to give up thinking to himself, up to now I've been living for God and I'm about to throw it all away. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to live for fame, wealth, pleasure. Why should I live for God when all it gives me is pain and suffering each morning? He's about to leave his faith. And yet, we find that in the end of verse 28, he says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Now, despite the fact we have no evidence of his circumstances being changed, and yet he says, God is good to those who are pure in heart. So what happened? 
What changed? You see, his perspective changed. For him, going into the sanctuary meant going into the temple. He's coming to the place where sacrifices are made and where he can be near God and his presence. He saw the things in the temple of the history and remembered God's faithfulness and promise throughout the history of his people. And he sees that he also has realization of God's unmerited grace. And that's when he cries out. Look at what he says in verse 21 to 24. My, when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Asaph realized he'd been a selfish beast before God. And when he came to his senses, he saw that God had never let him go. Despite of how he had lived, envious of other people, doubting God's goodness and justice, God was still committed to him. And now Asaph begins to experience this grace and love of God in a fresh Deeper way. Now you see, 3,000 years later, the same is true for us. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of bad things happening to a good person. He lived a perfect life, he was innocent. He was perfect, never a time that Jesus could have done it better. And yet remember what he got in return. He was poor, betrayed by his friends, hated by his own people, with the callous heart, the religious, scoffed, mocked, spat upon, beaten, stripped naked, killed on a cross. Jesus Christ had the opposite experience of what Asaph had. Jesus lived a perfect life, and we hear him say at the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why would that be? You see, because Jesus paid the debt for all our envy. The selfish life that we have lived with pride and disobeying him. And yet no matter how envious life we have lived against God, in this slippery slope of life, when we reach out to the Father, we realize he, had, he has always had us by his hand. We will never be forsaken because Jesus was forsaken in our place. Jesus didn't say, why do I have to go to a cross? Why not them? He didn't say that. Instead, he submitted. In obedience, he took the punishment for us. And when we truly grasp and experience the grace of 
grace and love of God in Christ, it'll set us free. The prosperity of the wicked that they enjoy is temporary. They may flourish now, but it won't last forever. It's like a dream, Asaph says. They wake up out of the dream and it's all over. It's a dream. Now, I don't know who um, any of you have watched uh, Steve Harvey hosting the Miss Universe a long time ago. I can't remember what year it is. Has anyone watched that? The finale of Miss Universe? Well, it's a painful video to watch. You can go home and watch it, but I'll use it now. I'll give you uh, the illustration. Uh, so Steve Harvey is an American you know, host. Um, he is hosting the Miss Universe finale, and you've got these two finalists, Miss uh, Columbia and Miss Philippines, I think. And they're both up on the stage, and everyone's excited. The whole world is watching. And Steve Harvey comes up to the stage and says, the Miss Universe of this year is Miss Columbia. And there's cheers and applaud and celebration and crying and laughing and everything, happiness. And there's this crown given to her and she does this beautiful walk on the stage the whole way and she comes back into the middle. And then a few minutes later, you watch the screen and you see Steve Harvey coming back to the stage. And then he comes up to the mic and says, sorry, there's been a mistake. The real winner is Miss Philippines. That, that crown, that whole walk and that applause that's taken away from her and given to the real winner of that year, Miss Philippines. She won that, that year. Now here's a question for you. Which one would you rather be? The first or the true winner? Are you going to wait for the crown that can never be taken away from you? There is nothing to envy a wicked man on his way to destruction, is it? Think about it. 80 to 100 years, where would the wicked be? They'd be in judgment. And it's sad. It's very sad. But for now, and all eternity, where will God's people be at? We will have God, and we'll be with him, and enjoy every good thing that comes from him. You see, when Jesus, the Messiah, was being nailed on the cross... To die, everyone must have thought, how can this be good? While the evil was prospering, Jesus saw the end of the story. And we need to see the end of the story. Jesus died and has been risen because he has paid for all our envy. And for us, we don't have to go to a temple like Asaph. We even have a greater place to meet God and draw near to him. An even greater sacrifice that a than Asaph could have ever imagined that helps us directly into God's presence. And when we are drawn to Jesus, he draws us near to God. 
And when we come to him, things make sense. We understand. We can make sense of life. What are these mere 70 to 80 years of ease and comfort in comparison to eternity in judgment? And what are these mere 70 to 80 years of hardship on earth in comparison to the God's presence guiding us to glory? The destiny of the righteous is God will be with you always. The godly will enjoy the presence of God both now and forever. On earth they may get good money, better job, big house, great holiday places. We get God, his presence, his counsel, his love, his strength. So, Where do you find contentment in life? You see, our greatest treasure isn't found on earth. It's found in Jesus. That's where we find our contentment, in our relationship with God. No amount of money will make you happy. Gina Reinhardt proves us that. But finding contentment through relationship with God will fill that hole so that you can be content in every circumstances. And that's what Paul says in Philippians, doesn't he? Philippians chapter 4, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, we don't just desire the good things that God gives us, we desire God himself. What's What's greater than the created things, it's the creator himself. We have better, we have enough, we have more than enough. So next time when you feel discontent, come to the scripture and sing with Asaph. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Greatest treasure is God. Go to the most unenvious and content man in the history, Jesus Christ. And when you come to his presence, you will find rest for your souls. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have taken hold of our hand and promised us to never leave us forsake us we pray that would you please keep us away from the things of this world which are passing away keep our eyes ever looking to jesus our savior and our lord help us to find contentment in you for he alone is worthy of all praise and glory not only in this world but the ages to come all of us father have been through these 
temptations and situations. And we pray, would you help us understand the principle by, this, by your spirit, in your son's name, that they can be part of our lives. And we can say to you that there is nothing I desire besides you, but God, you are strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Jesus' name, amen.